Welcome to The Children's Table, a podcast dedicated to the idea that young people have always been participants in history, in literature, in art, and in politics. As three professors who have spent our careers studying the history and culture of childhood, we want to share the questions we have about how adults have imagined what childhood means and how those ideas have shaped the lives of children, for better and for worse. Along the way, we will share the stories of some brilliant, brave, and groundbreaking young people we've gotten to know. I'm Victoria. I'm Anna Mae. I'm Kate. And let's head to the children's table. We're here with Robin Ilton G. She's an assistant professor in the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada. Her primary research interests are in children's moral and social development and reasoning, in critical and social justice pedagogy, and in digital media. She is particularly interested in moral development, investigating ways in which a developmental framework can illuminate possibilities for critical pedagogy and critical moral reasoning. She is the co-author of Moral Education for Social Justice, which is out with the Teachers College Press, and the article from Pen to Podcast, facilitating critical moral reasoning and critical consciousness through narratives of personal conflict. And that's in Media Education Research Journal. Um, and we're just delighted to have you here today, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really a pleasure to talk with you all. Well, this is wonderful. We're so excited. And we're just going to start with a big, broad, open question. Can you tell us about the work that you do what led you to the work, what you think is important about it, just anything you'd like to say about how you see yourself um, and the work that you launch. Yeah, thanks so much for the question. So I, I was a grade eight English language arts teacher in San Francisco, California. And when I was there, got the chance to kind of start a school newspaper with my my students and really kind of fell in love with journalism education. And I went to work for a media organization in Oakland, California called Youth Radio. It was called Youth Radio at the time. It's called YR Media now. And it is this mind-blowing space where young people can come after school and be trained in online and radio and broadcast journalism, but also in DJing and beat making and app design and graphic arts. So I really got the chance to kind of develop some skills as a youth media producer and, and work on audio stories and podcasting with the young people. And um and report education stories myself. And I noticed kind of the the really deep and complicated moral reasoning that went into each story. Um, so I noticed how my thinking was changed each time I put together a story or told a story or researched a story. And I also noticed that the same thing happened for the young people. So if they pitched a story about something in their own life, their kind of takeaways in their final products were always different than than what they pitched at the beginning. So uh, that's what kind of what drove me to go back to grad school. And yeah, now my my research tries to kind of pick up that thread of how engaging with media in the classroom in creative ways can stimulate critical reasoning. I love um, it. Youth radio. Yeah. I just that's such, such a cool thing. <laughs> yeah, Grad students are known for being very cool. Yeah, I don't know if you because you're in the <laughs> States and um, I don't know if you've heard their Sometimes they have stories on all things considered. Yeah. Or, um, um, I wanted to actually just uh, awesome. dig a little deeper into um, 
sort of the transformations uh, that you see happening um, in, in this sort of um, work you're doing, specifically in uh, the article that I loved so much from Pen to Podcast. It sort of chronicles a shift that I think the three of us, uh, you know, Kate, Victoria, and I are all literary scholars, and we've done all our work really focused on the written word, and now, um, you know, in our own work and in our pedagogy and uh, sort of in, also in the scholarship we're consuming, um, there's this shift in sort of how we're dealing with information and knowledge. And I couldn't help but thinking, you know, the, again, some, from pen to podcast, and I'm sure, you know, this is something you've thought about deeply, the now famous, very famous, perhaps overused assertion by the famous Canadian philosopher Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. And one quote of his just sort of jumped out at me when I was thinking about how are we imagining podcasting not as just sort of something that we might assign our students, but something that students themselves are transformed by producing. And in his words, the message of any medium or technology is the change or scale or pace or pattern that it introduces into human affairs. The railway did not introduce movement or transportation or the wheel or the road into human society, but it accelerated and enlarged the scale of previous human functions, creating totally new kinds of cities and new kinds of work and leisure. So still, we're still thinking about words, we're still thinking about stories, but it's a different medium. And I'm wondering if you would agree or if you could say a little bit more about how you have found that how the medium changes the message and particularly in terms of their own sort of moral development. Yeah. So as you were as you were speaking, I was thinking about conversations I've had with teachers and and other educators about kind of what makes a podcast a podcast or what what makes an audio story meaningful because if you're just say, taking an essay and then recording it with your voice, it's more of a process of kind of transmediation. I've come across that term as opposed to really producing a different thing. And that's really challenged me to think about, okay, well, what is it about the podcast or this, you know, this type of audio storytelling that is so different and interesting? So I think from the perspective of critical moral reasoning, I think the McLuhan quote makes a lot of sense because it's, you know, this complicated kind of thinking has existed and I don't, you know, we are doing it all the time. We're coming to these complicated conclusions about the gray areas of what's right and wrong all the time. And, you know, young people are doing that all the time. But when we're engaging with students and having them produce audio stories, um, we're asking them to do a couple different things. So the first is, at least uh, in the lessons and ex- uh, learning experiences that I've guided, we intentionally have them, you know, we say, you know, you must interact with at least three other voices in this podcast, or um, you need to bring in at least five different sound elements. And those sound elements must, you know, they might be from your bedroom, you know, the traffic outside your your neighborhood store, or they could be sound effects that are kind of funny or humorous. So kind of uh, you have different like materials to work with to construct your narrative. So part of critical moral reasoning is really taking into account multiple perspectives and kind of weighing those factors and being able to, you know, think about facts and evaluate information and then come to some nuanced conclusion. And so 
the the podcast format kind of gives us a different just gives us a different yeah. sandbox no and, and one thing that just jumps out at me too is well first you know when you were saying um just reading an essay out loud is not the same because I, I do think when we started our podcasting career that's kind of <laughs> what we tried doing is reading essays out loud and we realized like oh no no that is not it but it's also just in terms of the really nuanced sort of collaborative work of choosing different voices and different spaces and and even like other sound elements to create a story I think it's also providing students with so their sort of you know, the end of their story is more morally complicated. But, I mean, we're always thinking in literary studies about critical thinking and being sort of, if not suspicious, right, you know, being able to analyze other people's stories and not take it as sort of some this truth that somehow just came down as is, right, that it's a constructed thing mm-hmm. and what a better way to have them construct it than to really see all the elements that they're putting into it and all the choices that get made. That's so interesting, like, thinking specifically about, say, like the editing process and how it's different between editing text and then editing audio and the different kinds of 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 moves you can make. You know, either maybe they're critical moves or like reasoning moves or maybe they're like aesthetic design moves that you're making. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love that point. And I feel like when we are, when we're asking students to go out and say do interviews um, and collect voices and Presumably, they're collecting voices from from folks in their communities. So either it's their peers in the hallway, or you know, it's their families, or it's their principals, or counselors, or you know, neighbors. Um, yeah, there is a feeling of of being accountable to those voices in your final production, and so that feeling of you know, if you leave somebody out, if you leave somebody's voice out, what kind of um, you know, then does that make that a fair story, or or did we? Mm-hmm give that topic kind of a fair treatment. Yeah, I, I like the The idea of accountability is so interesting to me. And, and the choices these young people are, are making really have implications with responsibility and representation. You've sort of kind of already begun to answer the question I have. And I was really interested in, and this is from your article, you say that the podcast is a unique form of storytelling that has the potential to stimulate moral reasoning. And and so you've already started to give us an idea of like why the podcast in particular does that. And I was just wondering if you had like specific examples of when, when kids were kind of working through that moral reasoning and maybe also just like, I can ask a very basic question. And that is like, when you use that phrase moral reasoning, like what, what exactly are you referring to? Like I can sort of intuit it, but I, I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about what that means for you. Yeah, I know. Thanks so much. Um, when I Kind of when I talk, think about moral reasoning, um, I'm thinking about the ways that we make judgments about about what we think is um, right and wrong or okay or not okay. And I'm drawing on uh, social domain theory, which is kind of moves beyond, say, like the stage theories of moral development and really tries to place each decision in context. So thinking about, you know, there are different ways for things to be right and wrong. You know, things can be right because there's a rule about it or things can be right because it's like, it's inherently good. It helps someone or it makes somebody feel good. And so we're always kind of weighing these different factors of, of, of right and wrong and coordinating these different concerns in each decision, in each um, maybe complicated, you know, dilemma that we face. And we face like millions probably each day and 
obviously the digital landscape is full of them. And um, that was kind of part of the motivation for, for thinking about reasoning in podcast production, because when kind of just the nature of the podcast format, you, at, you know, at the end, you have to come to some kind of resolution or you have to kind of leave your, leave your audience with a takeaway, or even if it's a kind of a, a nuanced, we don't know, takeaway. Um, but within that process, you might've weighed, you know, more factors than you had before. Mm -hmm. So moral reasoning, yeah, kind of this idea of, of all the different factors that we're taking into account when we make a decision. And then also like taking into account all of our different voices, uh, emotions, things like that. So, and just to clarify, so I understand. So the difference is between this more contextual idea of how we make moral decisions versus, and you mentioned the stage model, which I'm assuming is like children go through different stages of development and each stage has certain characteristics about how they understand those right. moral decisions. So is that right? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So you have theories kind of from uh, Lawrence Kohlberg or, or Jean Piaget who, who assumed that, you know, around certain ages, young people make decisions about right and wrong based on, you know, specifically authority or mm -hmm. um, self-interest or, or things like this. And we kind of gradually progress. And this social domain theory kind of takes a different, a different look at it, kind of trying to place it more in context and saying there are multiple different domains of, of social actions and they can be characterized by kind of these different criteria. And we're always kind of coordinating and prioritizing between these three ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really interesting to me. So in some of the research that I did with, with students and podcasting, I would look at the initial kind of story pitch that they wrote and then look at the final podcast and see how the, the factors that they weighed were the same or different. So I was really interested in whether, you know, through some of their interviews that they did for their podcasting, they came across new, say like moral concerns. So maybe maybe they weren't aware of, you know, a certain kind of harm that this issue had been causing, you know, a specific community before. And so that then got factored into their podcast resolution. Um, or they were able to find those arguments, you know, in existing YouTube clips and include them in their final podcasts, which gave them like new material to, to reason with. I, I love the, the respect for kids as individuals that model has and, and like for their ability to think through a really complex and nuanced situations I just that's I mean we're really into kids as creators and and makers at the children's table so I, I love that model yeah it's it's really exciting and it makes me think about how what you're describing allows young people the space to think through the choices that they're making when they're putting these voices together where whether it's people they're interviewing or as you're saying content that's already out there and so they have a sense of agency over you know these these the narrative, these decisions they're making to present um, their perspective, and that, you know, necessarily involves moral reasoning and and just bringing that to the surface in all kinds of decisions that you make when you're creating things, right? That's yeah, I that's it's totally where my my head is at too, and yeah, I, I think that is so interesting the way that they make choices about presenting their stories or constructing their podcasts. So I worked with a student who was really interested in kind of what kind of weight does this word feminism have now in, in our high schools? And she felt like she was hearing just a lot of kind of anti-woman rhetoric on social media, on TikTok, you know, amongst her peers, even with just 
misunderstandings of the word and um, misguided you know, assumptions about, about gender and gender equality. So she created this podcast and learned new terminology. So she learned the word intersectionality. She used clips of, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw and, and other kind of um, feminist voices to kind of amplify her own voice and kind of speak back to these peers and, and what she was seeing on TikTok. And, but then so interestingly, you know, I've, I've worked with another student who was also interested in feminism and kind of, you know, she identified as, as female and she was like, I don't understand this pressure to be a feminist. I just, I just don't get it. And kind of chose completely different media clips to include, um, to make a completely different argument and the potential for like the critical reasoning that like in that production process is so interesting to me. Like, you know, yes, there were definitely missed opportunities on the part of, you know, myself and, and, and the teachers where we could have, you know, provided more access to, you know, some historical research or, you know, things like this, that they could have incorporated into their final resolutions. But, but they're still, still, you know, thinking about how to tell a story about an argument, even, even if that argument, you know, didn't perhaps contain all of, all of the evidence, but yeah, it was still a, something that they were creating. So there must be yeah. value in that, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Our last question is again, like one of these broader kind of like, how, how would you apply the work that you do? Or how would you suggest that we use the work that, that you're offering? So how and where instructors might best use podcasts as part of their pedagogy? So we're we're looking for some inspiration, some guidance. <laughs> Help us out. Oh man, that's a great question. Yeah, I think. Well, when I think about podcasting, I think about kind of all of its components involves in the production process, and one of the biggest ones is interviewing. I think, and there's just so much, as you all, as you know, like rich, like thinking and problem solving that goes into creating a good interview question going back and listening and critiquing yourself on the kind of question you asked and then listening back to the response and and uh, going through kind of the audio editing process of those other voices and kind of constructing an argument or narrative around somebody else's voice. So I love the idea of doing audio interviews in class, like in our university classes, having students then, you know, look at the transcripts of an interview and and then thinking about the types of questions they asked and how they could have asked better questions to get different answers. Yeah, so your example earlier of opposite tack for feminism, right? That's an mm-hmm. opportunity. For it. What kind of questions did you ask? Where did you go? What did you What did you unearth or not? Or what did you decide not to include when you offered that Exactly. Argument? Why did you only interview your brother in a story <laughs> <Yeah>. about feminism? <laughs> like, really important. What was that choice about? Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm thinking out loud about your just the interview process and cuz we do so much group work and often it's like okay, talk to each other. Like, you know, the share pair is the classic. But sort of what you're suggesting is like no interview each other about like in our field it should be, you know, this part of the text. And then that's another way Right, it's not just them as authorities or lack of authorities opining on what this text is saying. Like they'd have to ask each other. Like they would just add another layer to the process. And I am just thinking out loud to thank you 
because now I'm going to use this <laughs> in my class, especially when they're not talking to me. Like, talk to each other and think about what you're asking and what you're not asking. Oh, I love that idea. And you're making me think too, you know, like really big here in British Columbia is um, the idea of self-assessment. So it's in kind of all the K-12 school curriculum and um, kind of thinking about it in the university context too. But like, if you do this interview and then you're forced to look back at at the transcript of, of what you said and what you wrote, or even just listen back and notice things about your own thinking and learning that you you might want to work on, or you, you might realize that you didn't come across as clear. But then I also love the fun aspects of that. Like if you have them do that in class and then make a funny, you know, a funny audio remix of yourself about this topic, you know, bring oh in some gosh. music, bring in some thing, other things, and then you have these goofy little clips, but maybe, you know, somewhere in there, they came to an interesting conclusion about a. I love that. Idea. Oh, I'm music. Let's put music in it too. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking too, that one of the things that I struggle with in my classes sometimes is communicating to students how the question that you're asking in your research will really transform the argument you end up making. Um, and I haven't really done interviews with my students, but it's actually, it puts it in such stark relief that mm-hmm. what you ask transforms what what result you get and that would be a great way to say like you know what if you were thinking about this as an interview and not as a research paper it really it matters <laughs> the way you ask the question um, and then when, it, when it's a person and not like a database then, then yes. I feel like that's that's really um, I love that idea yeah now we're just like brainstorming <laughs> teaching ideas <laughs> very productive I'm taking well, notes <laughs> oh, good yeah, I love that. I mean, one of the also one of the most exciting things about podcasts when it happens with my with my students for me is when they decide to go outside, go out of the classroom and and capture like a recorded scene mm. or you know, something that they couldn't predict. So they did not write these questions. Maybe you know, maybe they wrote the questions, but they you know, they wanted to, you know, interview people at the bus stop about transit or something like this or people waiting in line for a new shoe like and capturing all the sound, like all the context around a specific moment or, or question. Yeah. So I like the idea too of thinking, yeah, like how could how could we bring that into the to the classroom? That's so cool. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll figure yeah, it out. We'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's it's really exciting and gets us thinking, obviously, about the ways in which we can shift our pedagogy because you know, and some some disciplines just haven't thought along these lines, and and um, you're just offering a lot of, for us to to grapple with, and so we appreciate it so much. Yeah, so thank you. Well, I appreciate you guys too, and I I really love this like collegial, conversational platform, and it's also inspirational for me in my own Yay. work setting. So thank you. Yay. Well, thank you for spending time with us, and um, this has been great. Yay! Woo! Thank you all so much. <laughs> The Children's Table is written by Anna Mae Duane, Kate Capshaw, and Victoria Ford-Smith. They are grateful for the assistance of Carly Runo-Hyde, who wears many hats, editor, producer, and collaborator, and creative genius. Our theme music is by Ken Comier. The podcast enjoys the support of Greenhouse Studios, and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at the University of Connecticut.